Welcome to Misunderstandings of the Mind podcast, the space where we explore common misunderstandings of how life works, allowing us to gain new perspectives on health, wealth, relationships, and much more. Life doesn't have to be hard work. It can be a flowing collection of experiences if we learn some simple truths about how our experience is created. Through this understanding, we realize that at a fundamental level, we are all already whole and perfect. Okay, we're live. Hi, Del. Welcome to Misunderstandings of the Mind podcast. Nice to see you. Lovely to see you too. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this episode about shame and stories and not being good enough. Yep. Yeah. That was definitely, um, that was the flavor of my story for sure. Yeah, I think it's a great, um, it's a great topic because so many people um, suffer with that, that misunderstanding, you know, of kind of like listening to the stories and um, having that consistent, overwhelming thought process in, in, in one or many or everything that they do, you know, and, and it's like people talk about it as um, the inner critic or the committee or um, I call it a head full of magic sometimes, you know, it's I like, like when I've got a head full of magic, you know, it's kind of a, it, it's certainly a topic that a lot of people identify with. Yeah. Yeah. I love that head full of magic. Mine was more <laughs> head full of nightmares, I have to say. What's your story and where did you see the misunderstanding? You know, where did things change for you? Well, oh my God, my story obviously started a long time ago. Um, I'm 60 now. So I think, I think my story was pretty well established by the time I was, I'd say about four or five years old. Um, mm-hmm. and, and embarrassing to say, I think it was only really up until about, I mean, I've done so many, so much work on my life on myself, but I think it was only when I really came across the principles, um, well, it was first time, it was about 10 years ago, but in the last three three and a half years that i really was able to see my story for what it was which was Mm. just completely made up um interpretation of myself but i'll give you i'll give you a little bit of history of why it felt so solid to me um and as i said um you know over all the years that i did work when people used to say to me oh you know you're just stuck in your story i i couldn't get it i didn't know what that meant i used to think but i am my story this is, this is what I lived, you know, this is how I came into the world. This defined me and still defines me. And I don't know how to not believe that. But anyway, so I'll go back to the story for a bit. So um, I grew up in Wales. Um, I was born in 59. So it was sort of the end of the 50s. And it was a very, very unconventional upbringing. Um, it, it was a rural setting, very sort of, you know, Bible thumping, chapel going people. And um, my mother, we lived on the outskirts of the village. My father lived in the village, very, very small village. I mean, probably not over 100 people lived there, but um, maybe a little more than that, but but tiny, tiny village. And um, my mother was my father's mistress. So he was married and lived in the village. And my mother had an affair with him or a relationship, I should say, for, uh, sorry, about eight years and had three children with him. And um, I never met him, believe it or not. <laughs> we, um, we lived in little caravans in the yard of my mother's house. We had a little 
three-bedroom house that we use for, um, for mentally ill people to come and live with us that left the big institution. So we lived in caravans and, you know, he would come and visit her and we never got to meet him. But everybody knew that we were his children. And so when I was about four years old, um, I was very aware that his wife came to pay us a visit and um, she was very unhappy and I don't blame her. I have a lot of compassion for her. And all I remember in that moment was, oh my God, whatever my mother and I have done, we have really, really hurt this woman. She was clearly very, very distressed and upset and crying and agitated. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm responsible for this. You know, I've done something to cause this. And then I, once I started attending the primary school in the village, it was, you know, very clear to me at that moment, you know, we had the label of being illegitimate and, um, and the less polite B word. <laughs> and uh, we were ostracized and we were definitely treated as different. And um, so I, I, that was my earliest experience with shame. I just felt, oh my God, I should never have been born. I caused this nice family hurt that's what the teachers at school would say to us you know you, you know, whatever i'm not going to repeat what they say but i definitely i definitely would come home feeling like that i was different and you know even the word illegitimate it's that means that you are not recognized by the law that you're not a lawful lawfully i have to look it up again it was something like you're not recognized by the law and not you know obviously not legitimate so i internalized that as number one I should never have been born number two I'm not entitled to be here like other people are and from that I you know I just I just kept repeating that belief system throughout my life and there was sort of evidence for it wherever I looked and the fact that you know my father didn't acknowledge us I mean we would pass him on the way to school and he would just sort of avert his gaze or you know, certainly not acknowledges, um, made me feel like, oh my God, you know, like I said, I shouldn't exist. And, and I had this fantasy, I'd, you know, obviously we read fairy tales and things like that. And, you know, my whole thing was, well, you know, fathers are supposed to love their daughters or at least their children and want to protect them. And because he didn't, I kept thinking, you know, I mean, as a child, you can't think, well, wait a minute, he's not capable of love. It meant there must be something so terribly wrong with me that he can't love me. You know, if I'd been pretty enough and clever enough and slim enough and all these enoughs, I, I would, he would have wanted to say, oh, that's my daughter. So that sort of added on to the shame was just the story that I, I totally lived with and, and I think just collected evidence over the years to support that. Yeah. I was just thinking as you were talking, it's really interesting how, how as children we make sense of experience, you know, like, with, you know, because we've got no, like you said, no logic and no rational, you know, um, it made me think of like being angry about losing my dad, you know, it was kind of like people used to say to me, but he was killed, you know, and I'd be like, yeah, but as a child, you don't understand that. He just went out one day and never came back, you know, and it was kind of like, you don't go, oh yeah, but you know, it's this that happened and, and rationalize the feelings away. You just experience the emotional response like, like you were talking about, right? Exactly, exactly. And I think also 
you know, when I, I mean, I was in therapy for, God, I don't know, close to, well, 30 years plus. Um, and, uh, no, but just about 28 years, but it's long enough. But what I really realized is that also as children, rather than see our parents as at fault or faulty or whatever, it, because we depend on them. We depend on them to take care of us. So we would rather like blame ourselves for things than blame our parents. It, you know, because if they are, for whatever reason, unable to care for you or take care for you or love you, you know, um, then that's just too hard for a child to accept. They always want to have, there's like a, some chance that, that, that if I try harder, if I'm better, that parent is going to love me. Whereas if you write them off as they're unable to love you or they're not around or whatever the reason, it's too sort of, it's, it's just, there's no chance then. Yeah, I can see you thinking. Yeah, I was just thinking how long that like we never give up that craving for a parent's love or attention, you know. And it was like I can remember in my therapy experience where where it came out, you know, it's kind of like that. I was still sort of one day, you know, like it was still there that one day, you know, like forty years later, one day that I would, um, you know, get that love or acceptance uh, either from from my um, from my mum or from someone else. You know that that I always crave that I spent a lifetime trying to um, medicate. You know, through through different things, through different relationships. You know, in places where I would never find it through drugs and chemicals and, and, and everything really. Sorry for that door slamming there. It's the okay. storm kicking up. Um, yeah, exactly, and I think. Um, for me, I think, you know, going back to the word shame for a minute, I think when you have deep, deep shame, and even though our stories are similar and different at the same time, but any sort of abandonment, I mean, like you say, as a young child, you couldn't rationale, hang on a minute, my father didn't want to die. You experience that as abandonment, and any type of abandonment is experienced as shameful. I mean, we carry that in life. It's like there's something wrong with us. And then to me, shame is one of the ultimate um, areas of, of self-loathing, self-abandonment, self-rejection. And so what we do is, you know, because that's what our belief system has been or we've carried with us through life, you know, believing this thing is, is real, like as they say, until I came across the principles and realized it was just a thought carried through time. Mm. But... Um, but having that belief system, I know for me, because I was sort of, you know, had such a deep, deep sense of I wasn't good enough or I wasn't, you know, there was something wrong with me, that I sought out very difficult people to love. Because if I could win them over, that meant that I was really great. <laughs> it was something, it was proving myself. You know, it was like, and if anybody just loved me for me, I was like, it was, what's that? Um, one of the Marx Brothers or somebody that says that, you know, you wouldn't want to join a club that would have you. You wouldn't be want to be or, and I felt the same way about partners that, that just loved and accepted me. It was like, wow, you, there must be something wrong with you. No, I want the, the really hard to get ones, you know, I want to prove myself. So yeah. it was very cool. interesting. On Karen. Sorry. No, you go. You go. Yeah. I, I was thinking that like, it's almost like, um, a bigger sense of validation though that you can get from that experience, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, the, the more unavailable they were. I mean, I, I did a, a, 
a master's in spiritual psychology and it was a two-year program. I did it about, about 15 years ago or longer, actually, 2006, yeah, 14 years ago. And I remember I had this huge realization that, I mean, thank God I'm over it, <laughs> but I, for me, unless I was feeling in longing, unless I was yearning, and unless I was like working for something, I didn't feel I was in love. I had to have, I had to have longing. And I know that that's a, you know, again, it's an emotion I brought with me from childhood of, of longing for my father to acknowledge me or to be available and my mother, quite honestly, she was, she did the best she could and she worked very, very hard, but she was, you know, trying to raise, um, you know, seven children without a father and doing her hardest and taking care of, you know, home full of mentally handicapped people. So she was always busy and, and you know, occupied. So, you know, we were sort of a bunch of little you know, vagabonds taking care of ourselves. It's a lot of fun, actually, some of it, but some of it was a little hairy as well. Yeah, I think this is, I think this is such a powerful um, place to look, you know, because so much, like, like you said before about, um, you know, and, and we'll get into that, you know, about the story looking real, like so many people are living in that experience now. And it's like, you know, and, and, I, and the same for me when I was living in it, it was like, this was my world, you know, that was the world. I mean, it, it wasn't a story then, it just looked completely real. And, you know, I consistently went, um, like you said, you know, to um, looking for um, someone to love me in a place where it wasn't available, you know, and I would specifically only pick the people who weren't available, you know, and try and get them to love me. And, and, um, and the heartache and pain that I went through, you know, with, a, with before I had any sort of um, psychological understanding, you know, before I'd been to any therapy as a, as a teenager, as a, when I got clean from drugs, you know, the devastation that I went through, it was almost like, you know, there was, there were certainly times that it was, you know, it was um, lucky that I didn't commit suicide for sure, mm -hmm. you know, like because of how, how overwhelming and how, um, I don't know, shame's like, um, it's or it just affects your whole body, doesn't it? It's kind of like, it's so overwhelming and powerful, that experience, you know? It really is. I mean, yeah, I, I did actually contemplate suicide at, at 19. I, I, I was, and even that, I mean, it, I, I wanted to like leave the planet because I never thought that the world was a really ugly, dark place, even though some really ugly and dark things had happened to me. I blamed myself. I thought I asked for it. Um, you know, being sexually abused and things. I, you know, again, you know, it, it, if you are, if you're susceptible to feeling responsible or shameful about yourself, and some, you know, some an adult would be saying, well, you know, it's your fault, you, you, whatever, you, you're gonna just take it on. You're just gonna own it, you, you know? And especially again, children don't, again, they can't sort of separate, no, wait a minute, the adult's supposed to be responsible here. It's like, okay, I, I asked for it. But for me, by the time I hit 19, I felt so inadequate to survive this world. So it wasn't that the world was bad or awful. I, again, was lacking. It was something in me that was so broken that I couldn't function in a world like other people could. And, you know, in a way it was, it was, you know, hitting that bottom at 19, you know, I was living at the time I was in the Canary Islands on a job and stuff happened. And again, I was really young, way out of my league, you know, or my depth rather um, living there temporarily. And 
And um, I just thought, I, I want out. It's, you know, it's just too painful. I cannot keep, you know, suffering like this. And, um, but fortunately, when I then went on a trip to America, and that's where I ended up staying, you know, they had such a huge, it was, it was a place called the Bodhi Tree, and it was all this beautiful spiritual bookshop. And I remember thinking at the time, something's got to make sense. Life cannot be this hard and painful. And I found myself there and reading books and on the spiritual path. And thank God there was a, a man called um, John Bradshaw that was holding some workshops in California at the time. And they were called Healing the Shame That Binds. And I was like, oh my God, this one's you know, designed specifically for me. Um, that is my issue. I knew it was my issue. And um, so really that bottom at 19, the absolute desperation was what, what, pushed or rather, you know, laid out the road for me to go down this path of, you know, self-exploration, the spiritual path. You know, my mother had been an atheist, so we didn't grow up um, believing in God, even though she sent us to Catholic school, <laughs> but that was more for a private education. But um, it was, it was during that time when I really started to explore. But again, you know, like we know, Oh gosh, can you hear the thunder? <laughs> it's rolling in. <laughs> um, but just that, um, again, it was still, there's something broken in me. I need to fix myself. I need to go on all these workshops, all these courses, um, all the therapy. And oh my God, the relief when I came across the principles and just saw that this is just, you know, as you said earlier, just, you know, I had concocted, uh, no, life events happen, you can't deny them, but I had brought that event, you know, through to the present, you know, with me in every present moment I had. And it was such a solid, but it could be different. I had no idea that it was just thought carried through time and that it didn't have to define me. Yeah, but like just to rewind a little bit, because I think it's uh, I think it'd be really um, important and useful to anyone listening. What like I know what happened for me, but what happened for you? Like when you started exploring, you know, through, you know, traditional therapies and, and whatever your study was then, what, what how did you make sense of things then? And, and did it get worse or did it help at all? Oh, you know, to be honest, um, my but very first therapist was a, um, well, actually, my very first one we won't talk about because that was, that was <laughs> an abusive situation too. So mm. <laughs> put that one to the side. Um, and again, which I blame myself for. Um, and it took another lot of therapy to realize that, no, you know, I wasn't responsible for that. Um, but so my second therapist was an amazing man. God, I loved him. His name was Dr. Braver. And he was like a father figure to me. And he filled a need in me to, to have a father. And, you know, he was just a wonderful, wonderful man. And, um, and then he, he, unfortunately, after a few years, he died, of, he had cancer and he died. But I felt, I felt that I'd been given a foundation that I could pretty, you know, healthily work from. And um, then I was in my marriage and I, that hit some rough spots. And um, I went into therapy again and I had another wonderful therapist, again, who I adore, and his name was Dr. Alan Luddington. And he was, he was like an older brother to me. Mm. And he really helped me um, navigate my, my marriage at the time, my divorce, my subsequent divorce, and also my parenting of my boys. So I, I value 
those therapeutic experiences very much. They definitely served a purpose for me. Um, what I always say is therapy took me from here, if you can see me, like, you know, from zero, you know, and, you know, surviving, but not living fully by any means. But, you know, as I say, you know, if I, if somebody broke up with me, I never for a second thought, oh, we weren't a good match. It took me into the depths of what's wrong with me. Why didn't they like me? I did everything, you know, to make them love me. You know, and I and I remember my sister once saying to me, "God, don't don't you just think you weren't a good match?" And I was like, "Really? That's an option." I never went there. My head went to there was something wrong with me that they needed to reject me. And um, so therapy helped a lot. It took me to a certain level. But as I say, I mean, for the amount of time I was there, it took me from say a zero to around fifty. Of, of, of on the level of highly functioning or functioning pretty well in, in life. Yeah. And then once I came across the principles, it's almost like the lid was taken off and it was like, Oh my God, I would never ever have achieved what I, or the life I have today, if it wasn't for the principles. Yeah. You made me reflect on my own journey and I was thinking, well, I guess my, my, uh, I don't know whether it was perhaps 10 years, you know, of therapy. Um, uh, very much like you, you know, I was still very much affected and sensitive, you know, to life and experience. I was very much caught up in it. Um, but it was nice having that connection with a certain few great people that were, that were um, there. But I, I guess what they were pointing to was the fact that, you know, like all the, the answer to everything, you know, in the present day was in the past. Yeah. We had to keep looking at the past, you know, and it was kind of like, and I'd sit in therapy time after time crying and, and getting in touch with this um, overwhelming uh, sense of loss, you know, about my dad. And, you know, there were times when I'd be lay on the floor crying, you know, and it was kind of like, um, and, and what I found was that like my experience of life actually, you know, while in some ways got better in, in, in other ways got worse, you know, it's kind of like, especially when I did my training as a therapist, because oh, we just spent years, you know, like delving into the past, you know, looking at everything because that was how it was seen that you, you, you fix the present, you know, that was the theory. Um, so yeah, it was interesting when I was listening to you because, because I guess looking, you know, looking at it, I had like a few different experiences where, where, like you said, when I found the principles within the space of a few days, you know, it's kind of like, oh, oh my God, my whole life changed pretty much unrecognizably, you know? Yeah. You know, the one thing I, if I, when I think back to my therapy, what I would say was the most useful thing that I got out of it, especially with my second therapist is if I had a feeling, he would always normalize it. He would always say to me, he, he made me feel like I wasn't as crazy as I thought I was, which I loved about, about his therapy. Because he would say, gosh, if I lined up 10 women here, you know, they don't feel like you feel. And, it was, and that used to make me think, oh, I'm not so broken. I'm not so crazy. I'm not so damaged. And, and, I, and I just think that was just a wonderful byproduct of therapy that I did get. But, but you're right. I mean, there was a lot of time going over and over and over, you know, the same situation, especially during my divorce. I found I was really on a loop with that. Mm. And 
Um, but as I say, you know, when I came across the principles, it was, it was the, it's the same thing. It was the normalizing. It was the, oh, that's just a human experience. You're not broken. Mm -hmm. That was like such a relief to me. I think when you are so, you know, you have such shameful thinking that you're always feeling, you know, I'm broken, I'm damaged, there's, I'm less than, uh, other people don't feel this way. It's, you know, it's only me because I don't, you know, I'm not like others. So that was the most helpful part that I got out of the therapy, as they say, was, was that um, feeling, oh my God, I'm, I'm not insane. Yeah. Was there like, um, was there a pivotal moment or was it like a subtle sort of realization of, you know, when, when you, when you found this understanding, what, what happened for you? Well, how I first came across it was um, actually 10 years ago. And I was, it's when I was first um, going through my divorce and it was, oh my gosh, the rain's starting now. <laughs> um, you'll have sound effects. <laughs> um, it was, uh, it was a really painful divorce and I was obsessing and having some really <laughs> crazy thinking and I couldn't get any relief from it. And I was flying actually back from here. I was visiting my sister here and on the way back to LA. And um, <laughs> so I was leaving here, leaving Ibiza and going to visit my sister. I mean, sorry, leaving my sister. I've been visiting and I was on the plane and, and I was having a changeover in London. And so I didn't want to take a sleeping pill, but my thinking was driving me crazy. I was heading back to LA heading back into this situation and was in so much anguish and pain and literally thinking if I didn't have children, I'd probably want to kill myself to get away from my thinking right now because it was absolutely doing my head in. And I walked into a bookshop and I found, I saw a book and it jumped out at me and it said, stop thinking, start living. And I went, oh my God, <laughs> I got to read that book. And I read it and it was Richard Carlson's, one of his very first books. And he didn't mention the three principles. I think it was called innate health or whatever it was called back then. And I read the book and I went, oh my God, that's unbelievable. It's so helpful. And it definitely brought some relief to me. You know, understanding where my thinking was coming from. But it wasn't like, a, it was huge. Because even my friends were like, oh my God, you're, you're doing so much better. And I said, I don't know, I read this book. And it's really amazing. And I was handing it out to all my friends. But I didn't know where to deepen it and it's so anyway so then about in 2015 I came across Steve Chandler was teaching a, a coaching class I was taking and he talked about it but again not the principles so I was like yeah this is really great this is helpful and then in the end of 2016 I came across it again and then when I realized it had a name and I could go deeper into it I knew that, like I said, the two times before that was like, I knew the truth. You know, I knew there was something huge here. Mm. Um, but I think I wasn't, and I love that. I wasn't the one that got that epiphany and my life changed overnight. I wasn't. It took me, as I say, from 2009. And then this, this, the last three years of really, really deeply being involved, three, three and a half years. Um, but again, there was, there was moments where I would say I had the yeah buts. It's like, yeah, but it doesn't apply here. I wasn't 100% buying in. 
where I could really say, okay, I, I, I know this is truth. But it still was very hard at times. You know, I, I went to the death of my mother and my sister and my sister-in-law in a very short period of time. And it was an emotional roller coaster at that time. And, and I felt like, um, but again, you know, it, it, it was always there. I never thought, you know, oh, this doesn't, this isn't, you know, doesn't apply here. It doesn't work. It, somewhere deep, deep inside me, I was always a new, it was almost like a safety net or even like a, you know, a, a boy in the middle of the ocean when things got really, really rough, it was something to hang on to, even when it didn't feel like there was much else around me, solid ground, it was something there. But as I say, I actually appreciate that it took me longer because when I work with clients, I don't have this expectation of, you know, oh, why, why don't they get it? I'm, I have all the patience in the world because I'm like, you know, I needed patience. So, you know, it's, how about you? I'm curious. <laughs> what, my pivotal moment or? Yeah, was there a pivotal moment or? Yeah. I like what you just said about, you know, like, even though you didn't get it, you knew there was, tr you, you heard the truth, you heard the truth or something of truth, you know, and it's kind of like, and I think that that's an important thing to emphasize on. And, 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 that, and I guess that was similar for me that it was probably a year before I had my experience, like my real experience, um, where I heard something where I knew there was truth in it. And it was kind of like, and it was mesmerizing, you know, and I was listening and I was thinking, I don't get the words, you know, I'm not sure what it is they're saying, but there's something about the person speaking. And it's like, um, it's, I've told it a few times. I've actually told it to Michael as well. It's quite funny, but like I was pirating a Michael Neal video um, when I was in the middle of my personal development journey for a, for a, a group, a WhatsApp group that I'd become part of where everyone shared resources, you know, and it was like the only way to pirate the video was to watch it, you know, to screen record it. Now you could say this is real, like real, real wisdom stuff, you know, like looking at someone looking out for you, you know, if there's something yeah. greater than me, but um, I, I was working away and I was pirating this video and I had to have the sound on. The only way you could record it was to have the screen playing and the sound on. And that was the only way I could, I could work out how to do it. So I was doing uh, the path of effortless change it was and I was kind of rec screen recording this um, this thing and I just kept looking at it, you know, and I was just going, I don't know something about what this guy's saying that's really like striking me and it was like I was just mesmerized by it and I just kept looking back at it and um, and I remember saying to one of my friends like, um, um, I thought, Michael Neal, there's something about what he's saying, you know, and she bought me a book, you know, and it's funny, it's one of his old NLP books, I've still got it, you know, yeah. before, before he found the principles, but I never read it, but it really stuck with me, and that was about a year, I, I continued doing personal development, going to therapy, I'd found this new therapist, and, and she was the greatest, you know, one that I'd had, I had the best connection and stuff, but I'd continued, like, practicing as a therapist, um, and, and, still thinking I was kind of broken, you know, and, and really searching for something in that, in that ever, you know, that never ending search. And until I went to, I was going to LA to Rich Litvin coaching intensive. And, um, and I started looking at Michael Neal's website and like he had an event on that started two days after the Rich Litvin. Now I don't, I was thinking, cause I work in marketing. I was thinking that's great marketing. He must know that people are traveling here and they're likely to come, you know, either that or that's another coincidence that's going on in my life. You know, that like I thought, well, the ticket was expensive. So while I'm there, I may as well, I may as well do it. 
you know, and then I found out the price and I ummed and ahed because, you know, it wasn't cheap at all for a few days. And it's like, I couldn't imagine what I was going to get, but um, decided to go for it, you know. And, and um, you know, I remember like turning up there with the weight of the world on my shoulders, you know, um, spinning many plates, um, obsessed with all sorts of different um, different areas of life bank balance, weight, relationships, health, you know, all these things that look like a problem. And, um, and I always talk about the invitation that I got from Michael, you know, the invitation was to, because I was very clever, you know, I was, I was seriously intellectual, I still am, you know, and, and it's like, I'd been to private school, I'd been through all these psychological training. So I really knew, well, thought I knew everything, you know, mm-hmm. and um, the invitation that I got was, can you just like, stop listening through that filter, you know, and trying to work out if this is right or wrong or if it fits or if it doesn't, or if it'll help you, if it won't and how long we're here for and whether you're getting your money's worth and all these things that I was going on about, you know, at the start when, when I first got there and I was like, wow, I never really thought about that, but okay. You know, it's kind of like, so I just kind of sat kind of like listening and I don't even know what I heard, but I just know that after those two and a half days, um, I read the Inside Out Revolution in the evenings and I spent like literally not that long, you know, maybe eight, eight ten hours over the space of a few days. And I, and I came out of them. My life had just changed. You know, it was just kind of like I sat down and I just thought like, oh, my God, like, look at look at this beautiful green valley around me. And it's look at the sunset. And it was like and I was thinking, well, I haven't all of a sudden got loads of money in the bank and um, I haven't got a new relationship, haven't lost weight, you know, nothing seems like it's changed, but everything doesn't look like a problem anymore. And it was just like a real sense of peace and freedom that I had. And um, I couldn't honestly have told you at that point what had happened. You know, I, re- I really couldn't. And I, and And I have that with clients now all the time that like, you know, explaining insight is kind of like nothing changes, but everything changes, you know, things just look different, you know? Yeah, it's such an it's such an incredible, you know. I I think in the beginning because I was going through so much turmoil with you know the deaths in my family and and we were all in business together, so there was a lot of business. It was so much turmoil, and I found myself getting really irritated with the language of the form and the formulas, and I was you know picking at it. Mm-hmm. I just knew something kept me coming back. Something kept me you know there. Um, but I, the one thing I really, because as I said, I'd done this, um, I've been at USM, this uh, university of Santa Monica, where we did the, um, the, um, masters in spirituality and the coaching program. And whenever I would go into those rooms, I would feel like, um, I felt very defensive because I felt that, um, I was broken. And everybody was trying to fix you and point out where you were, you know, you know, where you needed to work on yourself. And so I used to go in there feeling very sort of um, prickly and defensive and never relaxed. And, and it, I kept thinking, why am I coming in these rooms? Because actually, because that was another thing as, as a young child, I, any types of sort of gathering or group of people because of the village, the community, I felt were, were, were threatening to me, were dangerous. Um, so I had this very sort of, um, didn't like groups, didn't like being seen and was always hiding. And then when I came into the principles community, they, you know, when I heard the word psychological innocence, that whatever we've been believing we've been or doing is, is innocent. It let me 
drop down my defenses because I realized there was nothing to protect because people weren't trying to get me. They weren't trying to, you know, point out where I was failing or lacking or where I was broken. It was actually um, a really beautiful, and it, I've never experienced um, a community like that before in my life. And so that is equally what made me stay. It was, it was so open and so friendly so loving and everybody's you know we're all sharing our humanity and laughing about the stories we've told ourselves and you know what we've done in the past and you know like I like I mentioned I um, I always told myself that I was shy and that I was um, an introvert and I realized that those are just socially acceptable labels that hide shame I was just shame-based you know, I was in hiding because I didn't want to be seen. I was, um, yeah, I just didn't want to be seen. I didn't want my, my, my brokenness to be seen or my, my, you know, what was lacking in me to be seen. And the principles, I mean, same with you. I mean, we, we now host, you know, podcasts. I mean, mm. if you had told me a few years ago that I would be doing this, I would have said, no way. You know, no way, there wouldn't be enough money in the world that you could get me to sort of come out of hiding. Um, but that is what has opened up for me after coming across this understanding. Yeah, and like we've probably got about five minutes left. I, I think like what would be cool if someone was listening, like what, so like you explained your experience, you know, of that um, when you were growing up, what happened and then sort of how it affected your life and going on and then like your sort of um, journey through psychological therapies into finding this understanding. What, what looked so, and we talked earlier and I went about, um, you know, the identity that we create and the story, like living in it versus seeing it as a story. What, what, how did that change? What, what started to look different? Or was there like a, a domino where you realized that all that was just kind of a story and, and a made up identity rather than, you know, your actual reality? Well, I think one of the ex big experiences for me of change was, again, it was on this island, <laughs> Ibiza, and it was a few years ago, about three years ago, and I was lying on the beach with my sister, and she was saying, we were lying on this beach, and there was some little canoes, and she said, oh, it's such a shame that you're claustrophobic and terrified of the water, because, you know, there's a, if you paddle out of this bay, out into the open ocean and then turn around there's a cave that you that you can make your way through and she said it's like it's 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 so narrow you can't or rather low that you have to either go flat backwards on the canoe or flat forward and you use your hands to pull yourself through this this tunnel till you get out to this huge opening with a shard of light that comes through the top and it's such it's like a laser so it lights up the fish in this indoor i mean sort of a cave and I was lying there and I sort of really got back in and back into the principles pretty, pretty, you know, fully committed. And I thought, oh my God, that's just another identity that I used to describe myself. I'd walk up 30 flights of stairs before I'd get in the lift. And I thought, if that's all thought, then maybe I can go in that cave <laughs> and maybe I can get to experience this thing. And my sister was like, no way in hell, you know, I'm, I'm not having you freaking out in the middle of the ocean. I'm not having you freaking out in the middle of this cave. But I said, you know what? No, I, I, I really believe I'm going, to be, I'm going to be okay. And I did it. And I got to experience something 
that I would have never experienced prior to the principles. But because I knew in that moment, listening to her describe this experience and, you know, and my labels that I'd labeled myself, you know, claustrophobic, fearful, and knowing that those were just thoughts that I had stuck on myself and lived within. And so when I actually did that and I didn't freak out, I mean, there were moments when I knew I, <laughs> that it, I could possibly, but I kept saying to myself, it's just my thinking. I, I don't have to think that. I don't have to believe that. And I got through and I had this unbelievably beautiful experience. It just was like, oh my God, this is, this is, this is everything in life. Where else have I been labeling myself? Like I say, shy and an introvert. And, you know, I used to be a costume designer. And when I would do costumes on movies and things, sometimes when I was younger, people would say, oh, you know, we'd love to have you be, you know, play a role in this part. And I'd be like, oh, no, no, not me. You know, I hide behind my costumes. I don't, you know, again, it was the hiding. And I just sort of hit a place in my life where I thought, wow, I can, I can just challenge these, these thoughts. I can just, you know, challenge the labels, take them off. You know, as Natasha Sword loves to say, they're just like, you know, yellow sticky notes. I, I don't have to believe anything about myself anymore. And what's happened now is I truly, truly live in a life of possibility. You know, I can be anything. I mean, if I, you know, obviously not a brain surgeon unless I want to go back to school for, you know, a few years. But I don't, I, I, I literally, as I say, it's, it's unlimited potential is how I feel now. Wow. Did that answer your question? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Wow, it's such a transformation, isn't it? You know, it's yeah. kind of like listening to you there, talking about that story and having those realizations versus, versus the, ex, you know, the experience of limitations and labels and diagnoses, you know, like that, that I had, you know, it's kind of, um, you know, it's, it's just so it looks worlds apart, you know, and, it, and it's such a simple um, undoing, you know, of, of all those things that we learned about ourselves, you know, and um, so, so thank you for this. Um, we've come to the end and uh, just before we go, you know, how can people um, find you? What are you up to? You know, what's your um, how can, best way to contact you? Yeah, um, you can find me at deladyjones.com. <laughs> Uh, the website is is a work in progress, so don't get put off. You can also find me on YouTube, uh, Insightful Conversations with Del A.D. Jones, and um, on also the podcast, Insightful Conversations. And I work with individual clients. I've got some workshops. You know, it's it's. I say sometimes it's like a low-grade fever. It's there even when you don't know it, and it's affecting, you know, just even when we don't meet our expectations of ourselves on a daily basis, that is a, a low-grade shame that can affect how we experience life, how we show up in life. So we're going to be talking about shame from, you know, the, some of the very obvious ways it shows up in our lives to some of the very subtle ways it shows up in life. And it's a fabulous um, webinar. Uh, I, I do intensives, um, individual intensives, and uh, you can find all that on my website. Okay. Well, brilliant. Thank you very much for this conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Jason. It's lovely.